Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Diecast Movie Review Podcast. This week, we have an interview for you with Donnie Dunnigan. Um, my dad was able to interview Mr. Dunnigan at the Monster Bash on October 20th, 2019. Um, Mr. Dunnigan was a child actor in movies like The Son of Frankenstein, Tower of London, and Bambi. He also served in the Marines for over 20 years and has a doctorate in mathematical physics. We hope you enjoy the interview and have a good rest of your day. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Turk again from the Diecast Move Review Podcast, and I'm at Monster Bash October 2019, and I'm lucky enough to be interviewing Don- Mr. Donnie Dunnigan, um, who's been in many films when he was a child, Son of Frankenstein, Tower of London, and the voice of Bambi. Sir, thank you for taking time out of your day to um, let me interview you. I love this, and your inter- your introduction of what this is used for, I think it's terrific. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, for those that weren't, uh, Mr. Dunnigan asked me about what the Diecast Movie Review Podcast is about, I explained it to him, and he just um, said he loved the format with the um, covering all the different types of movies and stuff like that, and he said that he, he just really enjoyed it. And also, first, I want to thank you for your service in the Marine Corps. Thank you. Um, we were talking earlier, it's people like himself that allow us to be able to do these things, to have the freedom to talk and enjoy this wonderful country that we're in. Let me, on that point, let me share a real fun thing with you. I just got an email last night in the hotel and a phone call following up on that from a hospital in San Angelo, big, beautiful hospital called Shannon, okay? In recent times, because I've had malaria a couple of times, twice, uh, they do biannuals on me. Now it's once a quarter, and I'm doing great. I'm in good shape, right? <laughs> Four months ago, one of the young doctors with new nurses and new technicians uh, started having me stand there with a towel around me for examination, right? And have these nurses come in. That's proper. These technicians come in proper. <clears throat> They're just finishing their training and their license. And he said, now, here, this is Mr. Dunnigan. He's going to help us. And I'm, what? I'm standing there for exam, right? He says, turn, turn to the left, Donnie. Okay. Now, uh, nurses and uh, Susan and J- Jimmy, this is what a bullet hole looks like here. For real, not in your textbook. And this is what another bullet hole looks like here. And this is what a frag and a plate in your head looks like here. You know? And he did that twice. I just got this call last night on this thing. And another nurse leader says, hey, if he keeps doing that, you ought to make a buck out of this thing. How can I do that? Submit him a bill for being a training aid. So I got a hold of one of the invoices, and I wrote him a bill for $1 an hour. I'm a cheap guy, right? $1 an hour, and I submitted it to their finance department. Now they're having a riot over this thing. <laughs> I'm the only patient that's ever given him a bill as a training aid. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if he's using your body, I mean, you should expect at least a buck here. Yeah, maybe 50 cents anyway. <laughs> Maybe per bullet hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't you call him. I want to get something out of this thing. <laughs> and folks, if you can ever meet Mr. Dunnigan at any convention, he is this way all the time with story. He's just wonderful. And at the, the chance to meet him and the things he talks about, it's it's it's, oh, it's hard to say. You've got to come meet him in person if you ever can. Thank and you. hopefully this interview will give you a, a taste of it. You, start, you were a child actor. And... A couple of classic films, like we said, and I guess we'll start off with *Son of Frankenstein*. <sighs> and you got to work with Boris Karloff, um, Bella Lugosi, which I know from your Q and A that you did 
yesterday. You never called him that name. No. And um, Basil Rathbone. Yes. And, do you, and is there anything you want to share about those actors or the movie? Ah, yes. <clears throat> Son of Frankenstein <clears throat> was our second film. About five months out of the Deep South, this is a depression. You're all too young, thank goodness, have to experience the Great Depression of 29. <clears throat> I was born in 1934. In 1938, early, I'm only four years old, and I won a talent contest in, in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay? We had no money. My mom and dad are working for 20 cents an hour. Okay? Ah, big talent contest. And I won the darn thing at four years old. Miracle. Probably, probably because of a sympathy vote. Okay, in the in the studio, uh, I'm sorry, in the theater, uh, was a talent uh, uh, scout, a genuine one in those days, from Los Angeles, visiting his mom there. And then within a week, we're in Los Angeles, and I'm in my first movie, Mother Carrie's Chickens. Wonderful story based on the World War uh, One widow lady that took in orphans. Wonderful story. The next film, same director, was Son of Frankenstein. Now, by this time, I'm used to the studios and all the lights. I'm having a great time. My mom and dad are no longer working for 20 cents an hour. Okay? And we're, we're, we're repaired now. We're in a, an apartment that the studio's paying for. My gosh, four rooms. We were previously in one room. Can you imagine that? What a revolution. Okay? And Basil Rathbone, who later played um, Sherlock Holmes. Watch out, Sherlock Holmes, hey? Yes. And, and uh, um, uh, many other films. And wonderful Boris Karloff, who was a truck driver in Los Angeles delivering uh, groceries to stores before he was discovered. Now, this is his third film, I think, his first real big major one, Son of Frankenstein. Those guys were gentlemen. I mean, real gentlemen. They did not take themselves too seriously. They weren't smart alecks. They weren't show-offs. They were gentlemen. I watched them and copied many of their things from them. I saw them uh, get up when even a, a, a lady clerk from the office would come up. They would stand up in from their chairs, look around. Who does that today, right? Me, okay? I hope, and my boys. Real good example people. Um, <coughs> Mr. Bella, I'll use the European uh, uh, description of him. Bella Lugosi was a famous character actor for those kind of spooky films, okay? And he was always late to our rehearsals. One day, when he was first introduced to everybody, I heard his name. But I'm a kid, right? I'm having a great time. I'm not listening like I should. I heard, Mr. here's Mr. Bella Lugosi, huh? Okay. The next day, or maybe the, the second day, here he comes late again. We're all standing there. My mom had just coached me how to be a gentleman and introduce people. So here I go, right in front of everybody with a very strong voice for a little runt kid. Everybody, look here. Here comes Mr. Belly Goosey. Ah! You know what? He never talked to me for the rest of the movie. <laughs> he glared at me. And what made rings worse, that wonderful Boris Karloff, who could have been a stand-up comic, <laughs> who had no lines in, in Son of Frankenstein, but he won an award, what? With what? By going, rrr, rrr, rrr. <laughs> So when Boris Karloff wanted to tease Mr. Bella Lugosi, he would yell across the stage, Hey, Belly, how you doing? <laughs> Which made him do what? Frown at me more. He never said a word to me. I, I still find that story funny. Uh, just, I, can, I, mean, I, can, I, just, I can just picture his face like looking at you and... and, and, and and I know we all we've all had coworkers where once they once they find an end to tease you, it's oh, they're, yeah. they're gonna go yeah, for it yeah. all the way. Oh yeah. But I will say, um 
Boris Karloff got, got his, um, in a sense, he got his picked on moment, but he took it in stride. And it, yeah. and it was all because of you and him teaching you to play a little game called checkers. Oh, God, it was terrific. This is the first. Children, don't gamble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hypocrite telling you this. <laughs> this is my first bet and my first gamble in life. <clears throat> the, the movies in those days, black and white movies that you may see in classics sometimes, took a long time to make scenes. <clears throat> Son of Frankenstein was trying to replicate a castle in Transylvania. Look on the map and find out where that is in Europe, okay? Transylvania, big castle, big rooms. The grippers, the guys had to move all those sets around, were like linebackers. <laughs> Lots of hard work. And we got we get bored between scenes. We couldn't leave the studio, Roland VD would spank our hands. We had to sit there and wait for the scenes to change. We got bored, bored. Now by this time, I'm a real active kid and I get bored easy. That's not that's not an advantage, that's bad. I got bored easy, right? Boris Karloff, who I said before could have been a stand-up comic, great guy, he's sitting next to me most of the time in the canvas chairs, and he's bored. He borrowed a checkerboard that folded up like a book. I had never seen one before. And I, I used to play, in recent years, a, a very serious chess. Um, chess is kind of like, check, um, check, uh, I mean, checkers is a bit like chess. <coughs> che uh, checkers is easier. He taught me how to play. I'm just four years old, and he was a good coach. We played five, five or six games uh, over a week and a half or so, you know, during breaks. Had a good time with it. Uh, people knew we were playing with teasers. One day, I had heard the grippers, these big guys moving all these sets around, bet in the vocabulary of the day, uh, coins were called two bets, six bets, six bets a dollar, that meant quarters and half dollars. There's a lot of half dollars circulated then, not now, right? Big ones. Okay? So, golly, I never have any money. I'm making money for somebody. I never have any money for, <laughs> for ice cream or anything. So, my golly, I'm going to, whatever this two bits thing, and I'm betting. So, we sit down to play with Boris Koloff inside um, the studio where they're putting all the sets together. Everybody's walking around. I said, sir, I, at least I was smart enough to say, sir, sir, <laughs> I bet you two bits. He laughed. You know what that is? I, I didn't fib to him. No, but it sounds like money. Okay, you're on, kid. <laughs> so we started playing checkers. Now, I only played four or five, maybe maybe six games, and but I knew how. But he's being distracted now because he's very popular with the workers. He's not a show-off, big-shot guy. And they love him. They're teasing him all the time, walking by real fast. He got distracted so bad, I beat him. I got him cornered on that thing, and, and I said, I got you, I got you. And he goes, how'd you do that? I just got you, I got you. I said, pay me. <laughs> I remember saying, pay me, putting my hand out to Boris Karloff. What? Frankenstein? Sitting at a table with this little one kid, four-year-old, right? <laughs> That's what a wonderful guy he was. When he did not want to do something, <laughs> he reverted to character. He quit talking in English and go, rrr, <laughs> Well, the rule rules didn't work. I got my hand out. I want that two bits. Same. <laughs> now the grippers are hearing him. Uh, um, 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 Roland V. Lee, the director, gracious, gracious man, and and Basil Rathbone now are right there teasing him. Pay the kid. Pay the kid. Right. <laughs> so Boris gets up, big grin, in full costume. You got to see Frankenstein smiling. It's really a, a joy. So he got up and he took my hand. Rrr, rrr, 
and we're going to walk off to his dressing room, which is inside the big studio building there, uh, the soundstage, and everybody's following now. Production stopped. Everybody's following you know, teasing him without mercy. Pay the kid, pay the kid. He, he goes inside his dressing room. I stand outside. Everybody's waiting there in a big semicircle. He comes out, and he's got a shiny half dollar. i never seen one of those things. I thought it was funny money, you know, from Monopoly or something. I wouldn't take it. Oh, Donnie, this is real money. Take it, take it. Now they're really beating him up. <laughs> I wouldn't. Well, I genuinely thought it was funny money. Then this happened. If I had a photograph of this thing, I could pay my mortgage off. <laughs> to see Frankenstein in full costume get down on one knee, so he's parallel with this runt kid me, right? Hold this half dollar out and plead with me like this. This is not verbatim, but it's pretty close. Donnie, this is real money. Please take it. <laughs> the crowd, this wonderful cast of this wonderful film, are laughing and loving him to death and beat him up. See? And one, one person, I don't know who it was, said, Donnie, take it, it's real stuff, and run. Oh, boy. So I grabbed it and ran. <laughs> Later, I played a lot of football. This was my apprenticeship. Wham, I'm out of there. See? <laughs> And, and he teased, and Boris Karloff teased me about that. He asked me if I, I was earning interest on the half dollar and all kinds of things. <laughs> You'd love him. He was a great guy. You don't know how many of us wish we could meet him, but the beauty of being able to talk to people like yourself, they got to work with him and hear these stories. It's like we are getting to meet Mr. Yeah. Karloff. Yeah. And that, and that yeah. is what I'm trying to get across to people are hopefully listening in <clears throat> to the podcast for this. And it's, you worked with him and you got the chance to do stuff with him yeah. that none of us will ever get to do. And, 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 that, and that's, that, that to me is just, what do you say? You could, some people could say it's lucky. Some people can say it's charm or you could say you're blessed, but you, yeah. you were able to be in some yeah. interesting places at yeah. the right time, yeah. so to speak. One of the actors, I don't know, it may have been, um, it may have been uh, Emma Dunn who played the house mother. She played the house mother off camera. She was the house mother. One of the, I think it was her, told me that she saw him uh, during the production uh, in a nearby um, area by the studio at a Salvation Army on Sunday afternoon helping Salvation Army. That's the kind of guy he really was. And, and that's and that's what we love to hear, you know, because sometimes, like I said, we never get to meet people, and it's nice to know that he never forgot his roots. Yes. For the, yeah. the hard working going yeah. through and I think the people that are the best what they say when you're when you're going up remember to be nice to everybody when you're going up yeah. because you're going to meet them when you're coming down and uh, he was somebody that I think that took it sounds like they took it to heart and it was just nice to everybody yeah. and, and, and 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 that's great things to hear you know yeah. those great stories mm. now in Tower of London you got to work again with uh, what I think, Grant Basil Rathbone, first look, Karloff, but also Vincent Price. Do you have any memories of working with Mr. Price? <laughs> Vincent Price, <laughs> that was still kind of new in his very famous career. Uh, he always appeared to be a gentleman. I could tell by this time I'm, I'm uh, five, five and a half, going on sixteen. <laughs> well, I, I was reading newspapers, but luck. That's a, that's a DNA transfer luck deal. <laughs> I didn't earn that one. I was reading newspapers pretty well at five, so I was I was aware uh, of things as, as a little month kid, and I was introduced to him as as everybody was to Mr. Price, um, Vincent Price, um, but I didn't pick up on the name because I'm fascinated by his voice. 
when I would hear him different places on the soundstage and it was it, it meant something, I would tell my mom or somebody in the cast, hey, there's the voice. I called him the voice. <laughs> and to his face, I called him the voice a couple of times, and he just laughed. So he didn't have one of those inflated egos either. But he was the voice to me. <laughs> and I think being a Vincent Price fan, I think I could speak for all Vincent Price fans, we all can think of him as the voice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. his voice... He was one of those type of people that could read the phone book and captivate you. <laughs> yes, yeah, and he was very well respected by peers, and that's a, that's a big sign to me. And I know from talking to his daughter, Victoria Price, <sighs> uh, he just loved everybody. He, was, he, was, he seemed to be the same as Boris Karloff, where he would just treat fans, everybody the same uh, way. Uh. And had no real ego at all. Would just just enjoy himself. Yes. And he took yeah. roles just to obviously to make money, but yeah. he, he but he enjoyed doing the parts. Yeah. Having having um inter relationships with everybody in the cast, yeah. the crew, and it. I, I just I, I could just imagine working with. I, I wish I got ever a chance to meet him. Mm -hmm. You know and. To hear that voice live, and just to, oh, that would have—that's yeah. just so awesome. Yeah. He always looked like he was standing at attention, and I didn't know what that word meant because I wasn't in the Marine Corps. You know, I'm a little run kid, right? But he had, what would you call it? Great presence. Without being a show-off, he had great presence. That got in my head because some of the folks were working real hard to bend over. He was never bent over. I think he probably slept at attention. You know. <laughs> well, obviously, sometimes like um, people, my mom would always say, "Steve, don't slouch." Steve, don't. Yeah. And of course. Those that are, you can't see me, I'm slouching right now, but I'm, I'm listening to my mom. I'll straighten up. <laughs> now, you did a little indie film, a little small movie called, uh, for, for, for a guy that I don't think many people have ever heard of, Walt Disney, um, playing a deer. You know, oh, let me, let me, uh, uh, oh, Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> so, and uh, you were able to be the voice of Bambi. Um, do you have any memories of working for Disney and doing and doing the voice? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was the last film. Um, for for students of history, look up Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor preempted Bambi. He was going to release. Walt was going to release it. Walt Disney was going to release it at Christmas uh, week uh, forty one. What happened December seventh, forty one, Pearl Harbor? Right, big change in everybody's life. We were traumatized. I mean, no movie today has ever been made. My opinion, and I'm a student of these things, to replicate how the country was at Pearl Harbor. I saw very active, dynamic adults, and, I'm, and now I'm six and six and a half, and I'm really aware of things. Big, I have eyes and ears, and we were traumatized. Okay, <clears throat> go back to 1939, late. Okay, uh, not just for the voice of Bambi. Mr. Disney called my mother. I had been in seven, eight films then, uh, um, almost all of them with, with dialogue and, and, uh, and um, participation. Um, some of them were, were minor films, some were major. Uh, Mr. Disney called my mother. I was in the kitchen when this happened on the wall phone with, with cords coming out of the wall in Westwood, California, near uh, UCLA, I think, as I remember. And uh, Mr. Disney called my mom. <clears throat> this is really funny. And uh, I wanted her to, and me to come to Burbank, California. No freeways in. That's a real trip from UCLA to Burbank in those days. Uh, you stop signs. And uh, to, to interview for the uh, facial model, to be a model for the deer that he was going to make a feature film out of. Now, key word is feature film, okay? Um, my mom understood this rather well as opposed to a cartoon quote, right? Mm -hmm. 
She called my, she, we did not know, this makes me a hypocrite, Disney, you know this, so don't get mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> we did not know Disney from peanut butter, okay? <laughs> and I never got a chance to go to a movie. I'm making all these movies, work, 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 work. I lost my childhood in those days. I had great tutors, thank goodness. No school, tutors. Uh, but we never went to movies. I had never seen a cartoon even. Not one now, mind you. And I'm six years old, six and a quarter or something. Anyway, so my mom calls my, my manager. Now, he, this guy is from New York, and I, I like New York. So, so, so this is not a New York deal. But he's from New York. He talks like a machine gun, hey? And I didn't like him much because he was very quick with my mom, okay? My dad wouldn't have anything to do with him. My dad's working. Uh, he's not living off of me. And, uh, and she called him about Mr. Disney's offer because it went around him, right? He came to the house in 30 minutes from somewhere, and he is angry. He got a bow tie on, a very fancy suit. And he told my mom, don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. I'm working on Donnie to get into a Western coming up. No, don't let him do it. They will ruin his career. Right? By this time, I had asked a couple of neighbor kids, about Disney. They all knew about Disney. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a riot. You're going to Disney? All right, let's go together. <laughs> so I'm hot for this now, right? <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and the fact, I came in the door right after my, this agent got there. Now, his agent is telling my mom, don't do it, don't, don't let him do it, in very harsh terms. And I, I interrupted, and I said, I want to do this with this, this Disney guy, wherever he was. Then he got crisp with, quick with me, and he got rude to my mom. Huh? I boxed later, from age 14 to 32, reasonably well. It's a good thing I wasn't a boxer at age six. I didn't like this guy. And I fired him. I'm sitting on the, on the couch in my in the living room with my mom and this guy. And I said, you're fired. I picked that word up from somebody. You're fired. <laughs> oh, he blew up. <laughs> you can't fire me, my mom. My mom, I, my wonderful mother, my mother, mother turned to him and said, He's paying the bills. He can fire. Oh, he really blew up. Picked up his briefcase, stormed out of the house. When Mr. Disney found out, when we finally got up there a couple of days later, that uh, I had fired this guy. Apparently, Mr. Disney knew him, okay? And he was thrilled that I did it. <laughs> now, now I'm doing the, the facial models, sitting on a stool. The artists are saying, look left, look right, look afraid. Young people and grandmothers, when you see Bambi again the next time, look at the one of the early scenes where Bambi does something dumb. He's in a thicket, spread out on his tummy, mm -hmm. ah, feeling sorry for himself. And little Feline, who becomes his lady later in life, sticks her head through the thicket, gives him a little kiss on the cheek. Remember that one? One of the artists, when that scene was being drawn off my face as, as a six-year-old, right? one of the artists said, Johnny, you look like something really bad has happened to you. Okay, I tried. It didn't work. I tried another face. It didn't work. Finally, some guy said, have you had something really bad happen? Yeah, lately. What was it? My mom gave me castor oil. It was terrible stuff. Okay, Johnny, there's an artist talking to me. Pretend like you just had a double dose of castor oil and hold it. Ooh, <laughs> I made that ooh terrible face. And they said, hold it. So for 20 or 25 minutes, I had to hold that ugly face of the kiss on the cheek. And now I tell all the children, orphanages and everywhere, when you see that film, that's the castor oil kiss. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to picture that scene ever different again. <laughs> I can't I can't wait to watch Bambi just to say, there it is. <laughs> and, and you, you put me speechless there with that one for a second. <laughs> Now, I do know, yes, no, two days ago, you were sharing a story with me about 
when you're on Disney's property and you had a, a water gun Ooh. that was given to you by Mr. Carlaw. Yeah. And you had an interesting um, escapade. <laughs> <laughs> During Son of Frankenstein, 1939, Boris Karloff gave me a water gun. It was put on my chair in a little bitty box. When I opened it, that looked like a real gun. Oh my gosh, what's this? But I figured out pretty quick as water gun. Children don't ever do this. I'm being a hypocrite. Yeah. That's the only thing I ever hid from my mother. I hid it. I'm bad, bad. I hid it. That's the honesty of it. I put it in my little bag I'm allowed to have. Now it's many months later. We're doing um, uh, Bambi at uh, Magnificent New then on the grounds, buildings and grounds for Disney Studio in Burbank, California. And I'm, I got my little water gun in my, my bag. It's made in Germany. I had baby really shot straight, okay? And I'm going down the hallway in one of the new buildings at, at Disney headquarters where I'm supposed to go, I hope. And coming in the opposite direction in the hallway is a man who I learned later was in the finance or accounting department. He was the only person in Disney that wasn't an absolute joy. Everybody treated the, this dumb kid me like, God, I was on the staff or something. It was just a wonderful place. And this guy, I call Mr. Grump. And he really was Mr. Grump. I learned later that other people, the adults, thought he was Mr. Grump. Here he comes. Now, there's plenty of room in this hallway. He's got all his papers in his hands, and he's walking down the hallway. And, he's, and there's plenty of room, right? And I'm going the other way. He says, get out of the way, kid. That kind of guy, right? <laughs> now, kids don't do this. I mean, a hypocrite. <laughs> I went around the corner of the intersection there, right, where he's handling his papers. And, and I took out my water gun, and I shot him right in the top of his of his hairline with two shots. He couldn't see me behind the corner. Pew, pew, got him. Oh, he dropped his papers, yelling about the roof leaking. It's sunshine outside. Remember typewriters? Grandma and granddaddy, remember typewriters? Young people listen to the ratty-tat-tat-tat, ratty-tat-tat. Lots of ratty-tat-tats in that hallway, in the offices. That all stopped. Ladies came out looking, what's wrong, what's wrong? This guy is, what's wrong with him? I got water in my head. <laughs> I'm getting ready to skedaddle now. I'm right behind the corner, can't see me. I turn around to, to, to skedaddle, and here's this very tall man like a tree in a three-piece suit, okay? Mr. Disney's brother. <laughs> and he looked down at me and did one of the mother superiors with a finger, waving the finger at me, you know? <laughs> I looked at oh, my, my mom finds out I'm gonna get fired. I'm gonna get fired. <laughs> then this, this nice man looks around the corner of the intersection of the hallway there, sees what's all this about, sees this guy, looks back at me, I'm terrible, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> you talk about smoking gun as evidence, I had a dripping gun right there, see, you're still dripping, I, all the evidence is right there. <laughs> he looked at me, his big smile, took his thumb like a, a signal agent, like a, a stop sign, and gave me one of those, get out of here quick kid, wow, I'm safe, <laughs> I grabbed my little bag, I went through offices in Disney that had not seen a child since birth. I <laughs> flew through them offices, see. I got back to where my mom was, and I'm glad she wasn't there. And my water gun's still leaking a little bit in the bag. 20 or 30 or so minutes later, the security man came. Not like today, overdressed with all the weapons and stuff. Nice man in a suit. Probably didn't have any kind of a pistol on him. Not necessary in those more civilized days. And big smile. I knew he was a security guy. And he smiled. He says, Donnie. I need your gun back. Uh, uh. Then I, I'm not a lawyer, right? Now I'm, I'm going to be a lousy lawyer. And I pleaded, but sir, but, 
first call up, Frankenstein gave me this gun. I thought that helped me, right? Did no, no good. No good. I'm being bad English, no good. <laughs> so he took my water gun. Ah. <laughs> my mom never found out about it. And this is really bad. Children don't do this. I didn't tell my mom like I should have. Let me go fast forward a lot here, okay? 16 years ago when, when USA Today and, and Disney and other people found out I was still alive because I had been reported killed in an accident somewhere. So, so they thought I was gone. They found I was alive. Oh, my gosh. Everything blew up. We've got to come here. got to come here. So they flew us from Texas to Burbank. And in the executive dining room, nice, gracious people, and several of the board members were there at the table. And when we get ready to finish the, the, the uh, luncheon, the greeting luncheon, one of the board members, I love this, one of the board members says, Donnie, is there anything we can do for you? <clears throat> I smiled. I'm looking at the board of directors of Disney. Yes, gentlemen. I'd like to have my gun back. <laughs> they said, gun, gun, gun. You guys have got my water gun from 1940. I want it back. <laughs> they all laughed. <laughs> they sent a security guy. I understood later, sir. Sent a security guy down into their archives, and he spent half a day looking for this water gun. They never did find it. So later, I sent him a bill for it. I tell you, if anybody can find that gun, please let Mr. Duncan have his water gun back. Right away. Because <laughs> he's missing it. <laughs> now, again, you, I mean, these stories are great because it's just, it, um, you, after you were done with Bambi, that was your final film. Um, why, did you, why did you stop doing movies? I've was, I was, I was always been curious. Now, Mr. Disney had my contract from RKO and... Uh, via uh, Universal. Uh, we were going to do other things, apparently. Um, when Pearl Harbor struck, Mr. People, you folks need to pick up on it. I have found younger executives in Disney Corporation did not know this. Mr. Disney was a great guy. He wasn't a, a pompous executive. He had his sleeves rolled up, helping people all over the place. Mr. Disney gave the Disney Corporation to the, what was called then the War Department. I, AKA our Defense Department, to be used for the help of the war. Training films, motivational films, um, uh, kind of soft propaganda, vote, uh, uh, war bond films. He gave it to the War Department. He did not make, look up history, he did not make any more um, commercial studio productions for about three and a quarter years into the war. <clears throat> no other corporation in this country did that. Not the motor companies, nobody did that. Mr. Disney did, and it probably cost um, him a ton, but he never complained about it. He loved doing it for this country. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not in the promotional films. I'm not in the war training films. Okay? And then my family started rupturing. And I don't want to uh, 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 taint the, this wonderful positive interview with all that. And uh, uh, I spent a couple of years in a, a very proper orphanage. Mm -hmm. At age 14, um, I left that and I went to a boarding house. My 14th birthday week, uh, paid my own way in a boarding house from then to now. I'm not in a boarding house now, but I started yeah. off that way. And um, I never talked about it in school. Um, that was a, a proper happy history. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to be a medical doctor desperately. I graduated a, a school early at 16, got a good job. The draft came along for the Korean War. Um, I thought I was being drafted in the physical exam. Um, a recruiter snuck in there from the Marine Corps. It wasn't supposed to be in there. You know, going, you know, that's called poaching. You know? <laughs> and he came up from behind me, and this is a famous Marine Corps story. They love this. 
uh, I'm in line with another towel around me uh, to get examined with a bunch of guys. He came up from behind me, big guy, about six foot two in a dress blue uniform. I'd never seen one before. I never went to the movies, hypocrite number two, right? Couldn't afford it. He tapped me on the shoulder and he said, are you, uh, you John Dunnigan? I looked at this uniform, my goodness. What is he, a big cop or something, you know? I said, yes. He said, son, I'm from the Marine Corps. The, you know, I have to play football. He said, we got a football team and you get paid. I've been playing for free. <laughs> you paid by the Marine Corps. <laughs> so 30 minutes later, I'm in the Marine Corps. He sucked me out of there. <laughs> and later, wonderful generals, Kenneth Houghton in particular, wonderful Marine general, when he introduced me for charity things, have some fun with charities. Nobody knew about the movies. Never, still didn't know about the movies. But uh, he had introduced me to all this fancy stuff, you know. And I said, I get the microphone. I said, the general, everybody, you love this general. He's telling you nice things. The truth is, I didn't know poop about the Marine Corps. I got recruited so I could play football for money. <laughs> <laughs> now, I also believe nobody in the Marine Corps knew about your past career. Because, I mean, you were always were so busy working on the current things and going for the future. Yes. And, but near the end of your Marine duty, they actually, um, you were actually outed. And... Yeah. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to share that briefly. Yeah, I was ratted out. <laughs> yeah, I ratted out. <laughs> I never talked about any of it, not because I wasn't proud of it. It just wasn't proper. It was bragging. I don't brag. I hate it. Um, I wouldn't be doing this now except for a very proper, positive interview. <laughs> and I met, I'm in my 25th year in the Marine Corps. I've been wounded several times, um, and I'm still running three miles a day. I'm a commander in Marine Corps boot camp. Think about that. So I'm reasonably fit. <laughs> you can count on that, right? And I've overcome some wounds and things. Um, that, it caused me a little trouble on a promotion exam a little bit later. Anyway, um, I never talked about the films. I'm, I'm really busy. I've got a court martial I'm a president of. i got a battalion to run. Busy, busy. Wonderful General Marine Corps. Look him up. I'm sure he's in a website somewhere. Kenneth Houghton, Major General Marine Corps. Dear friend. <laughs> he can play double deck chess, knock your socks off. Lousy poker player. <laughs> and I loved him. <laughs> and I worked for him several times. So it's 6.30 in the morning. We're in full dress. Busy, busy, busy. Marine Corps boot camp, San Diego. He calls me in on the speaker. I go to his office. I'm standing at attention. He always invites me right away to sit down. He doesn't this time. I'm standing at attention. I thought, oh, my, what did I do wrong? <laughs> he says, and when he really wanted to stick me with something, he was very courteous and formal. Otherwise, it was done again, right? Yes. Major, good morning. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <clears throat> I have something I'd like you to do extra. I had a lot of extras going on. <laughs> he said, I'd like you to audit the auditors that are auditing the PX. Now, he knew I was a number cruncher, right? But I'm an infantry commander, but I'm a number, number cruncher. Right? I never talked back to him ever. I couldn't help it. I said, oh, yes, sir. Um, civilian auditors in big PX, they think they're hanky-panky, right? Okay, sir. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll assemble them at 4.30 tomorrow morning and I'll uh, audit. Now, these are civilians that get there at 9, right? Yeah. And he looked at me and says, Dunningham, don't get smart. I want you to audit the auditors. All right, sir. How about 6.30? I want you. need to audit those auditors. I said, we have an audit department here. He said, I want you to do it. All right, sir. How about um, Sunday? Dunningham. And he looked at me. I've never seen this from him before. I knew him for 20 years. He reached over on his desk, big desk. And there's a big portfolio on the side I had not noticed, right? It was the top secret on it. He, somebody gave it to him out of the safe. 
and it's a, a classic White House clearance done by the Bureau. Now, I have been in counterintelligence for years. I understand these things really well. <laughs> and he reached over and he patted it, and FBI investigations that go for White House clearances go back to birth, okay? I mean, they know your blood type and your fingernails, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. So he patted that and looked back up at me, a big smile, and he says, you will, you will, won't you, Donnie? Hey, nobody ever called me Donnie. You will, won't you, Donnie? Audit the auditors, won't you, for us, Major Bambi? <laughs> I am, my cover's blown, my cover's blown. Somehow that got out, he ratted me out. The drill instructors that are working with me and for me, I'm, I'm, their, I'm their commander, and that's an honor. They all found out about it. I got beat up really bad. And I heard from one of them. I wrote home to my mom and said, guess what, Mom? My commander is Major Bambi. <laughs> now, I heard you tell that story, and I heard you tell the other story with Bella Lugosi. This is what I think happened. I think the spirit of Bella Lugosi gave the Major General the idea, <laughs> and he got his revenge <laughs> all those decades later. <laughs> you know, that would make sense. That's a, I know nobody's ever said that. That's right. Because it ties it all together, you know, from the belly, uh, well, how, how do you say? Belly goosey. Belly goosey. <laughs> oh, he hated that. Oh, my gosh. So I think he got his revenge on you <laughs> yeah. with, with, Major, with Major Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not true, who cares? It's a it great should story. Be. It, it should, should be, be yeah. true. <laughs> One of the things that that uh, you touched on briefly 20, uh, 15 minutes ago. <clears throat> all these people have made an impression on me in my life. They reached out all the time. The men and women, wonderful ladies that have made an incredible impression on me. I'm still kicking uh, as hard as I can at 85. They had one common denominator. Now, they didn't say this. This is me. Okay? They reached out and wore out. They didn't rust out. And one of the things that bothers me about our culture now, you have not asked this, but let me punch this in, is our senior citizen attitude. Okay? I've seen some wonderful people who are just dynamic, contributory. They get to 65 by 66. I'm a senior now, and they start parking. Mm -hmm. I mean, they sit down and park with a park gear or like a transmission, right? <clears throat> I think that's hurt us really bad. Don't wear out. Don't become a career senior citizen. Reach out. Reach out. Active, 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 wear out, don't rust out. I can I, I agree with you because I know with um, some of my relatives, I would see them retire, and then they just are watching TV, or they're just, and you could just see them become what they think a shell of themselves. And it, it, it's just so sad. It's, and I know with my dad, he stayed fairly active and he ended up living with us his last couple of years and um he just enjoyed being with his but then my children were very young my, my my youngest one wasn't born yet but my older two were and he would just spend all the time with them and was doing all these things and staying active with them and you could see how he perked up from where he was living by himself then suddenly he came back and now he's like i have purpose yeah, i have drive yeah, yeah. and 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 it's just it was just such great I think a great two years, it was final two years, we just yeah. spent being yeah. able to do that, that, that yes. fun stuff. So I guess I definitely agree yeah. with you. It's been I love doing it. You, you're right. I have had the same experience with people. Uh, that They call it blankety-blank Dunnigan's Brigade. You know, <laughs> get off your 
ladies, don't get mad at me. Get off your six o'clock. <laughs> That's a fighter pilot's description of your rear end. Get off your six o'clock and get with it. <laughs> exactly. Now, as you said, you are still very active. You have are, are currently in a production with, um, I believe it's called Cuds. Cuds. Yes. Robert Aragon, award-winning author and genius illustrator, has created a marvelous little little bear called Cuds. And he's already won awards with it. It's in Europe even. He's just finished his first major, major um, um, series production of 10 volumes of Cuds. Okay. That's going to be a super, super hit everywhere. He just finished it. I'm going out in December to do the voice of Cuds like this. There's a bird again. Why is, the, why is that bird hurt? Or the little bear. And... In a toy store environment where Cuds lives when he's not out doing stuff, okay, there's one old deer up on the shelf of the toy store that's kind of the matriarch of all the other toys, and they call him Grump. And I'm also going to do the deer that is the kind of the, god, the godfather of all the toys called Grump. And I'm going to now, you didn't do your homework. Guess what? <laughs> I love it that it, it ties in where you're a young Bambi and then... Oh, that, I didn't know that. That, that is that, that really interesting. I can't wait to see this production yes. done to hear your voice bring these characters to life. Because I didn't know about this project until yesterday huh. when you were talking with uh, Mr. Bill Diamond. Yeah. And um, during your Q&A, he brought cuds in and yeah. all this stuff. And I was just like, wow, it's just great because it's like you said, you're there. And, yeah. and, and you have the town is still there. The drive is still there. Yeah. And sadly people are not always utilizing yes. the town because, I mean, Hollywood, sadly, is always, yeah. it seems to be yeah. mostly fixated on youthful yeah. actors and yeah. actresses yeah. and that kind of stuff. And it's just like, well, you have this great talent that's right there. It, it, you're just a fool to not utilize yes. it and, and, and have that experience yeah. and have that um, joy that's yeah. going to be there. And, I, and I'm, I'm just, it's just, it's just awesome yeah. to know that you had that project coming out. It's going to be great. You're going to be super good. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And thank you for taking... Actually, is there anything else you want to share? That's one of the best interviews I've had of at least 32 or 33 in the last 11 years. The best interview, at least, in the last 11 years, I've had a bunch. Oh, my... Thank you. That, that is very nice. You're actually my fifth interview... Oh, my gosh. ...that I've ever done. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and um, it, it, But part of it is, I, I think it might have helped us... I really, my interview people, I'm looking for people that I'm interested in meeting and talking with. And I think, and, and, and you, sir, have just been a joy. Well, you've done your homework. You know, I've, I've had interviews where people mispronounce Basil Rathbone's name, you know, like Rithbone or something. I figured, well, that's okay. They're interviewing me. They haven't had a chance to do the homework. You've got your homework done. Great interview. Oh, thank you, sir. And it's, it's a pleasure, and I'm glad you were able to spend some time with us. And, again, everybody, if you can have a chance to see Mr. Dunnigan at a conference, a conference, a convention, or whatever, please come up and talk to him. Live it all. Don't park. No reverse gear. Reach up. Reach out. Wear out. Happy at 104. Don't wear out. I mean, don't rust out. Thank you, sir. As a bonus for you all, my dad also recorded the Q&A conducted at the Monster Bash. Um, there is some overlap with the interview uh, and the stories, but he felt that it was a really good addition to the episode overall. Fall and of course the gorgeous colors. 
but uh, it's an honor for me to be here. I haven't been to the October Bash since 2014. I've been to all. I've been to every Monster Bash since 2001. I only missed the 1997 and the 1999 one. So I, you know, I'll work out whatever way I can be here. So it's an honor for me to be standing up here to share this man's stage. And this man, of course, we know from Son of Frankenstein, uh, of course, Mother Carrie's Chickens, so many wonderful, I'm just, he, he, it speaks, he speaks for himself, Mr. Donnie Donegan. boring and some that are kind of angry huh we are renaming this event huh? monster smiles because that's what you do <laughs> anybody that doesn't smile in this place ought to go see some real doctor <laughs> god what a joy this is what a, when i have to go to a meeting in about seven days where it's half salmon eggs and half Lumpy, okay? I'm going to close my eyes, ooh, and I can turn my hearing aids off now with a little magic button. <laughs> and I'll remember you guys. <laughs> I made that. Uh, I'm 85. Oh. <laughs> you look great. You look great. <laughs> I've had the, the last rites uh, read over me twice. Oh. And uh, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I have some holes my body got and my mom didn't put there. And um, I'm probably really got honest with everybody in the world. I'm probably a walking casino. That's how lucky this old man is. <laughs> so, some of you know some background. And uh, uh, I don't want to bore you with all that because it's too long. Let's open up right away because what you want to know is more important than what I want to say to you, okay? So let's open up right away to your questions and answers and beat me up. <laughs> questions. They're coming. What do you I, got one. I got one. I'd like to start by just saying, oh. I think on behalf of all of us, first of all, obviously, thank you for being here. Thank you for your service to our country uh, so much. I mean, it's Let me take off on that. That's really good. I was in the, I did all the way through schools. Um, I was an orphan for a couple of years. And then I've been, I was in a boarding house, which you could do then with all the regulations we have today. Very proper boarding house managed by a lady <laughs> saint, okay? At age 14, been supporting myself from then to now, one way or the other. And all lawful, I promise you, all lawful. <laughs> in the Marine Corps, then for 25 years, through all the ranks, I mean all the ranks, from private, first sergeant, battalion commander, blah, blah, blah. I never talked about the movies. Now, I've been asked this question a whole bunch of times. Why didn't you? The, the gut honest answer is I didn't think about it. I'm busy as a dickens. I wanted to be a medical doctor. That aborted with the draft in the Korean War. Marine Corps fell in love with me and, and vice versa, I hope. And uh, I never spoke about any of it until the last month 
in my Marine Corps service 25 years. I worked for this guy three times, twice in combat, named Kenneth Houghton. If you want to pick up on an American man with real grit, who could play double deck chess and knock your socks off, and the world's worst poker player, figure that one out. <laughs> I have some of his money, like you. <laughs> and he's my commanding general. And I, did, I worked for him a couple of times in the boot camp, Marine Corps boot camp, Bahala, San Diego, right? And I'm one of the battalion commanders. It's 6.30 in the morning, full kit, okay? I've got a court martial going on, and a battalion, and all kinds of stuff, and I'm, I'm busy. He calls me in. Kenneth Houghton looked that man up, okay? Major General, on, on your observation. And I, I go in his office, and I'm at attention. He's always inviting me down. We know each other really well. Major General, Major, big difference, right? We know each other real well. I'm still standing there, and I'm busy. I need to get out of here, you know? I'm looking at him. And when he wanted to really nail me with an extra duty, he was very courteous about it. Otherwise, it was done again. <laughs> now it's, good morning, Major. Right away, I know I'm going to get stuck again. <laughs> and he didn't invite me to sit down. I said, yes, sir. <clears throat> Major, done again. Again, now I'm be double stuck. Huh? <laughs> I want you to audit the auditors auditing the PX. The worst mistake I ever did with him years ago was letting him know I can handle numbers. <laughs> And I, I never was smarty with him. I said, there, oh, yes, sir, I can do that. How about 0430 in the morning tomorrow? Don't get smart, then again, I want you to order the orders. They don't get up until 9. These are civilian orders. That's okay. Man. All right, so how about um, 530? He looked at me, put his glasses down, uh, like Wallace Berry, huh? Reached over on his desk, big desk, huh? Like a hood of a car, you know? And on the right side was a, a, a dossier, a top secret dossier. He had a, a safe somewhere, and he patted it. I paid no attention to it. I looked over, got my name on it. White, old White House clearance, where the bureau takes you back to birth. <laughs> so they knew everything, bums. <laughs> and he patted this thing, he says, listen to this. This is a major gentleman in the Marine Corps with more battle of medals in this, this building, okay? And he patted it. I'm gonna try to imitate him. I love this man, okay? He looked up at me and says, <laughs> you won't, huh? You will audit the auditors, won't you, Major Bandy? <laughs> <laughs> I got 36 drill instructors. Can you imagine Marine Corps drill instructor sergeants? I got 36 of them guys and about 700 recruits and a thousand things going on, he let that out. <laughs> now I got drill instructors, Marine Corps drill instructors, like I was when I was much younger, you know. Um, <laughs> Rambos with good IQs, okay. <laughs> and I can just know that riding home, dear mom, guess what? I got stuck with my commanding officer's guy named Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> and Bambi was a courageous figure, you know. He beat the dogs and kept, uh, kept Feline from getting kidnapped and stuff, but it hadn't come out yet. It hadn't been released yet. So the hearsay that young people had and the drill instructors was that Bambi was kind of a little frivolous, crazy deer, and it was sliding around the ice, you know, and then they beat me up. I mean, absolutely beat me up. 
like I want you to. Questions? I always wonder, do you remember what you were thinking in that scene in Son of Frankenstein where he's holding you over towards the pit? I, I just imagine as a young kid, I, like, how did they set that scene up? Because it's such a moment. Nobody's asked that question quite that way. Thank you. Two things about, he's talking about the scene like this, you just saw him, right? Yeah. One, I'm wired to him. He dropped me the first couple of times. Oh. <laughs> 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 Studio panicked, you know, bounced off that hard deck. They had real sulfur in that pit, stunk, okay? I bounced. He got very, very nervous. On your good question, they took two hours plus to redress him in that very laborious costume. I put a, a le big leather belt, I saw this, around his uh, uh, skin, put wire on the belt, threw the sleeve, and wired me to it. <laughs> so now, oh, how many have children in school? Oh, come on, yeah. grandchildren in school. <laughs> if they don't do their homework, tell them that you got a friend that was wired to Frankenstein. <laughs> and, uh, and it was really hard to do some of those scenes because he was a great guy. We became real good friends. And in real life, he was a great guy. I mean, a real good guy, okay? Uh, no um, hanky-panky uh, controversies. Um, he told me how to play checkers. I'll tell you that story if you like in a couple seconds. Uh, remember, and all that in near that same scene, he's got his foot on me, remember? Yeah. He's captured, right? That took forever. It took a long time to make those scenes then. We weren't like now where everything is wired, literally, right? A long time to set those scenes up. He found out from my mom or somebody that ratted me out that I'm ticklish. <laughs> and I don't mean a little bit. <laughs> I boxed seriously from age 14 to 32, and, and in the Marine Corps in particular, I was terrified. <laughs> One of these bouts, the, the guy was gonna find that out with the, the uh, laces on the glove, getting those clutches that he didn't like, Getting in here, Sorry, the base paper then would say, Donnegan, TKO'd by tickling. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Ain't gonna happen, we're not doing that one. <laughs> but he found out I was ticklish. And we're standing there in that position for a long time. And he put his foot, you just saw the movie, right? He took his foot and he rubbed his foot on my side. I broke up. <laughs> I remember he broke up. He broke up. The cameraman had to leave the camera. He's laughing. Everybody's laughing. Wonderful, gentle, incredibly gracious man named Roland B. Lee, was the director of that, and along with Tower of London and some things. And you never heard him say, honey, anything harsh. But I think a little bit on this one. <laughs> that is enough. Break for 10. <laughs> so we all did. Got off that floor, oh boy. Got back in position, we started giggling again. <laughs> Mr. Lee went out of character a little bit. <laughs> and if he was a swore, he would have swore at us. <laughs> so when you see that film again, and we're looking afraid. That was the best acting job in the world for both of us because we're having a great time. <laughs> great question. Yes? Do you have any memories of David Lugosi? Oh. <laughs> I hope I don't get censored for this. I don't swear. <laughs> we're out of the deep, thank you for that question. Out of the deep south, uh, we're dirt poor. Those who have not been in that depression of 29 30s cannot imagine. I mean, dirt poor. My dad was working for 20 cents an hour at anything he'd get his hands on. My mom for 20 cents an hour 
Okay. Dirt poor. Now he went on a talent contest as a little run kid, uh, talent scout, uh, grabbed us out of Memphis, Tennessee, took us to Hollywood like a whirlwind. Okay. My mom's now trying to teach me, son of Frankenstein's second film, F7, trying to teach me uh, manners. Okay. Probably that one, right? <laughs> and the courtesy and how to do introductions. And the day that uh, Bela Lugosi, now I'll pronounce him uh, uh, Eastern European, Bela Lugosi, okay, was introduced to us. He was always late in the big sound studio. We're all waiting for him, okay? I heard the name, Bela Lugosi. And he met everybody. Didn't pay attention to me. It's okay, I'm the only one kid there. Huh? One day, not more than two days later, my mom has really been drilling me on how to uh, uh, help women, ladies with a chair. She was real good about this and other things. Now here he comes, and he's late. I heard the adults talking about it. We're waiting on him again. Okay? Here he comes. Now, mind you, I'm barely four and a half years old here. Four and three quarters, okay? Here he comes. Now, I want to show off with my mom. I got manners, right? Here he goes. There's a quote. Everybody, look here. Here comes Mr. Belly Goosey. <laughs> He would have never made a living as a comic because he had no sense of humor. <laughs> he glared at me, you know. Well, Boris Karloff, who was a great guy, right, was standing there. And he, everybody laughed and laughed and laughed at the Lagusi's, the Lagusi's detriment. And during the course of the next month and a half or so, every time they wanted to tease him, he walking around over here. Basil Rathbone who could have been the Prime Minister of Great Britain, you know. <laughs> uh, and Boris Koloff in particular, he'd yell across him, hey, Belly, how you doing? <laughs> he didn't like that for poop, I'll <laughs> Excellent question. More. Thank you so much for being here. It's wonderful to see you again. Um, do you recall in Senator Frankenstein, uh, were there any stuntmen that stood in for Karloff in any scenes, and if so, which scenes? Excellent question. Excellent. Uh, I don't recall anybody standing in for Boris, sir. Okay. Uh, but um, <coughs> at, the, at the end of the film, semi-climax, when uh, uh, Basil Rathbone uh, swung down from the from the uh, arc there and knocked uh, uh, Frankenstein into the pit, that was a stunt man. Okay. And they must have really liked him. Uh, that's the first time I saw a stunt man. I didn't know what that vocabulary meant, probably, but they invited him to everything. The, uh, the post uh, film showing, the big showing with the arc lights and everything. Whoever that man was, was highly respected. Thank you, good question. Thank you very much. Others, yes. Um, I just want to thank you for your uh, service to our country and uh, also, also, how do you stay so fit? What do you do? I mean, uh, it, you look so good. And your hair is just so nice. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it that you do? Yeah, what you do? Uh, I mean, diet I, or what? <laughs> thank you for. Yeah. I think it was 25 years from 18 and a half in the Marine Corps. Uh, and a lot of luck. A lot of luck. Uh, I watched diet. Uh, I always have watched diet. In <coughs> early years, I watched diet because I couldn't afford it. Okay. Uh, until the Marine Corps, and uh, somewhere early on, I was in the Marine Corps football team when, before Vietnam, uh, just for a couple months a year, and on boxing teams and things. 
early on, and I wish I could remember this man's name, a Navy doctor, full captain, I remember, and even the Marine officers were, oh my, Navy captain, you know, um, physician, gave us the football team. I had to be, not, I had to be age 20, 21 maybe, at Ben Pendleton, uh, early 50s, a real intelligent two-hour uh, session on fitness and metabolism. Now, I have a lot of um, books in my head now. I understand right metabolism without a hyphen. You know what I mean? Uh, a brilliant lecture, and some of the guys weren't paying keen attention to it, but I wanted to be a medical doctor. I never got there, you know. So I'm paying good attention to this guy. And he made a great point that I live with today. My lady will tell you. <clears throat> he suggested that most of us in Western cultures eat stuff that the body chemistry plant, he called it, cannot process for any benefit. Cut your calories down. Cut your calories down. And I remember the left tackle, no, the right tackle of the Rinko football team at the time was sitting over here, and he was, he was he heavy with muscle, okay? And I, he was kind of flinching about this, because that guy had an appetite like a gorilla. <laughs> anyway, I picked up on that. And even in the field, and lots of time in, in Southeast Asia with sea rations and stuff, I ate half, and to this day, half of what most folks do. And that's probably part of it. The other part is of, of no hanky-panky stuff in the body and, uh, and a lot of luck. Remember the, the, the uh, what, what did I call it, the uh, casino? Huh? Mr. Casino, luck. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. How did you enjoy being on the Gilbert Gottfried podcast? Oh, <laughs> that is the most intelligent, fun, maybe fun in front of intelligent interview of many, many, many. Truly so. I, I'll give you a nice contrast for them. A nice man, you know, when they found out I was still alive about 16 and a half years ago, they all thought I was dead. Disney with bananas. You know? <laughs> and they sent me to, to London. Uh, 16, 16 and a half years ago, um, as, a, as a primer, promotional primer, for the first Blu-ray release of Bambi. Remember that one? So I'm in London, and they had me on uh, what we would call the Good Morning Show, the Morning Show. Uh, they call it something else in London. Big audience at 8.30 in the morning, all had ties on, you know, including a couple of executives from Disney in the front there. They're hosting this, right? They got ties on. I don't have ties. <laughs> I've had a couple of treks in here. One of them was combat type. I don't wear tight. I might be wearing this thing. Anyway, um, so I'm, I'm on your issue, I'm on the stage, and the, the uh, moderator, the host, he could have been, for sure, the prime minister or his aide de camp, you know. <laughs> and he's looking at a brochure, uh, dossier, that I did not know he had. And they're, they're good spies, these guys, you know. And in this dossier, he had uh, Harley Davidson, and I didn't see this. He's sitting over here, a very nice man, and uh, he said, <clears throat> My word, yeah, big audience, my word, you own Harley. Like Harley Davidson, right? And I thought for a quick minute, I got him. <laughs> I own Harley Davidson. I said, yes, some very clever like, yes, what, what, my, how long have you owned that big thing? You know? I said, two wheels. What? Two, I ride one. Now, this is really funny. This, now, this is 16 years ago, okay? So I, my hair was a little 
bit darker, not much, okay? <laughs> then, he, then he did this, watch. He's sitting down. He got up, and I'm sitting down, and he looks me up and down, like, you still have all your parts, you know? <laughs> <laughs> He said, you ride one of those things? And I said, since 1948, 48? <laughs> I broke up his British accent. <laughs> and uh, we had a great time with the audience on that, on your excellent observation. He was, that was a fun interview, but not like that one. Well, Gilbert Gottfried, the podcast has been on for about five years, and they've been talking all the time that they wanted you as a guest. Oh. And they were so delighted uh, to have you. Yeah, we had a good time. We had a good time. Straight rights. Good time. Other questions? How about questions for your children? Yes? How familiar were you with um, Frankenstein before you had been in some of Frankenstein? Had, had you seen any of the movies? It was hard to see them back then. Any movies? I don't think anybody's ever asked that. Seven, eight films between the ages of barely four and almost six. Think about that. One movie after the other steals your childhood. By age six, five and a half, I'm hearing other children in different places. I'm not in school. I had tutors, good ones too. I hear the children talking about baseball, baseball, and all that stuff, having a good time. Okay, work, 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 work. When, when we and, uh, Frankenstein, so Frankenstein, second movie. Now, I, I and um. I'm cultured in this, all the lights, cameras, and action. Probably, probably age five, going on 12 up here, okay? The first time I met Mr. Karloff, he was not out of view, out of a costume, in civilian clothes, was in the cafeteria of the, of the Universal, okay? And he came up in, with some other people and um, introduced my mom, and he bought me ice cream. If there is an addiction in this world, I cannot break. It's ice cream. <laughs> and he bought me ice cream. And, and he had a big smile. Nice personality. That was really funny. Five or six days later, we're do maybe a bit more, we're doing a, a first dress rehearsal. Okay? And I see him in costume. And here he comes. He's on time. Not like Miss Bibby, of course. <laughs> here he comes, Franklin, in costume. And I know who he is, okay? And he has his heavy boots on. That costume hurt him, by the way. And the boots hurt him. He never complained, but I could tell, okay? And here he comes, you know? And I think it's a riot. <laughs> and I start laughing like the Dickens. Some other people start laughing. And uh, in, in any scene in the Son of Frankenstein where some of us are looking like, oh my, oh my, a monster, right? That was probably the best acting in the world because we're having a great time. He was a heck of a guy. Halfway, ooh, halfway through it, we're bored to death because the scenes are taking so long to set up. Okay, and we're sitting there in these canvas chairs with our names on it. And he borrowed a, a checkerboard that folded in half. I'd never seen one checkerboard. You know? And he taught me how to play. We're together, we're waiting for all this stuff to work. And he taught me how to play. I wish I knew the precise number, I don't. Somewhere between five or six games later, weeks or, a week or two later, um, we're, good, we're playing, we're starting to play. I had heard from the grippers, those real big guys like linebackers, they're moving all that stuff around, real wood walls, you know. Castle of Transylvania, you know. You know? 
I heard them bet in the vocabulary of 1938-39 when we used to call coins two bets, six bets, four bets, huh? Some of you remember, huh? You're too young to remember. Did you remember? My father referred to them like that. And there you go. Thank you for the help. Uh, and I stole, I, I stole, I never have any money. I make up money for somebody, I never have any money. Not even coins, right? So I'm sitting there with Frankenstein, I heard these guys talk about, um, I'll bet you two bets. I have no idea what that is. But it has to be worth something, right? So I'm sitting there with Mr. Frank, with uh, Mr. Carlock, and we're getting ready to play real quick. And, and uh, I said, I'll bet you two bets. And he looked at me, big enough, he's a wonderful guy. Big enough says, you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> so now we're playing. Maybe the fifth or sixth time, chess is, I mean, checkers is a, a pretty fun, easy game, right? And he's distracted because it's very popular with the working guys. With the, not just the execs, you try to expect that, but with peers and with working guys, Karloff was a real strict guy, okay? And they loved him. And they're teasing him, walking by, you know, playing with the kids and all this stuff. So he's distracted. I won. <laughs> I got him nailed in the corner, right? Where you go. And I tell him, I won, I won. He won. Now, when he didn't want to talk, uh, to, uh, somebody's teasing him, he went into character right away. Like, <laughs> 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 I want my money. <laughs> two bits, two bits. <laughs> <laughs> now, Basil Rathbone, who could have really been the, the uh, um, Prime Minister, you know, Great Britain, you know, and the others are teasing him. Pay the kid, pay the kid. What was the term? Dead, deadbeat. Remember the term deadbeat? Deadbeat. <laughs> and that didn't bother him. He had a great sense of humor. So finally, after all, I mean, now we got a big bunch of people around us teasing him, and I got my hand up. I want to say, call up, picks me up by the hand, and my mother's laughing over here. And I think his dressing room had, I think his dressing room was some kind of a trailer or something inside this huge sound studio, like an aircraft uh, hangar. And he wants me, now everybody's following. Uh, Roland V. Lee is following. Uh, I think Bella Lugosi was there. My mom, all everybody's following him and uh, teasing him a little bit. Everybody's having a great time. And he walks in up to his dressing room, has some steps. He walks up the steps, we're all waiting outside. I'm standing there, I really want my <laughs> And he comes out with what is was a, a very shiny half dollar. I had never seen one of these. Okay? Really shiny. And he, here. <laughs> I wouldn't take it. It looked like funny money to me. <laughs> you know, I had not seen one. And this is, come on. And they're really ripping it. <laughs> if we had a still photo of this, I know there's a cameraman there somewhere. We had a still photo of this. I could pay off my mortgage and yours too. Okay. <laughs> here, here is Karloff. Forgive me in the back. I got to do this dumb thing. Okay. Here's Karloff. Just down on one knee. Okay. So he's parallel with my my stupid over curly hair. Huh? And he says, Donnie, this is this is real money. Take it, Donnie. Quote. They're beating him up. <laughs> and finally, somebody I don't remember who. Some voice that I recognized said, take it, take it, it's good, run. Yeah. So I took it. Later I was a pretty good fullback. I took this down to my apprenticeship. Bram!
And that was just like Mr. Karloff in his real life. I've heard many, many times. Uh, somebody told my mother that they saw him around the end of that production, it must be near a holiday, helping Salvation Army in Los Angeles as a volunteer. And nobody probably knew who he was because he wasn't a show-off man, you know? So he was a darn good guy. Any other questions? Yeah. Do you have any memories of Lionel Atwell? Oh, yes. Oh. I, I think I was encouraged to stay away from him. <laughs> uh, and I didn't have enough senses at the time to understand why, you know. Uh, but I remember one time, uh, vaguely, vaguely remember, because I didn't want to put it in here, I guess, that uh, Basil Rathbone kind of took me away from some activity he was doing there on the set. Uh, that's the graciousness and some good taste. Uh, what's the word? Censors the rest of me on that one, okay? Uh, Bela Lugosi, ooh, his initial role in Son of Frankenstein was short. And the studio promoters tried to leverage his contract down to peanuts. Okay? And Basil Rathbone and, and, and uh, uh, Frankenstein, Boris, found out about it, went to the executives. My mom told me about this. Executives said, we're not going to do this if you do that with that man. He had a great uh, uh, potential, okay? but uh, he was, his finances were poor, and everybody apparently knew about it, and they were trying to leverage him. So they got his contract back up to the, the, uh, the fair point, and uh, he was always late. Uh, they beat him up about that a little bit. Didn't even come to some social party we had, a birth or something, my child. And that was mentioned once in a while, but not derogatory. It was like that's part of his character. He was a recluse. And he, he stayed off to the side. Because he was so good in the initial scene, the only time that Basil Rathbone, a real gentleman in real life, okay, uh, I ever saw him get a little bit angry was um, uh, when they, they started doing takes, a new take. Let's rewrite the script. I think they rewrote part of the script because of Belagosi's talent three or four times with additions. <coughs> well, a nice compliment to him. And a lot of footage in the original cans of Southern Frankenstein were edited out because um, of the, the uh, child drama and those things because the war in Europe was blazing around. Uh, how many have seen in recent years Bambi? <laughs> Let me share this with you. <clears throat> Young execs don't know that they had to learn this one. <clears throat> Walt Disney, who I had a lot of time with, I remember him well. <clears throat> Great guy, a worker, he helped people. He wasn't some pompous jerk executive. He had his sleeves up helping people all the time, okay? And a great artist, super creative up here, okay? <clears throat> he almost went bankrupt in the prep for Bambi with a bank called American Bank at the time. I think that was a forerunner of Bank of America. Don't count on that, but I think so. He was a bankrupt, way overdue. Why? Because he insisted all the artists that drew any motion, including the raindrops, da, 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 be done in oil, like Rembrandt, not watercolor, which was the common then for comedies and things, okay? Oil slowed the production way, way up. But look at the art today that they can show you. Huh? And that's because of the oil. Okay? Uh, interesting man. 
the um, war is coming in, in Europe. Pearl Harbor hasn't happened to us yet. Uh, everybody thinks something's going to happen. And uh, Pearl Harbor came. He was going to, uh, Walt was going to uh, uh, put the film off for Bambi um, in the Christmas of 41. What happened December 7, 41? Pearl Harbor, right? <laughs> well, that changed. Big meetings, big meetings. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? As you know, it was released later in the early spring of 42, right in the San Fernando Valley area of California. Mr. Disney needed to get Bambi out. It was as long almost as Gone with the Wind. Wonderful artwork. He cut, he, and he had to do it. This is not bad. He had 2,000 feet of Bambi's original cut put into archives. Some of the not young execs didn't know that. They had to be told, what? <laughs> now, if you get the new Blu-ray, the Blu there's a couple of scenes that weren't in any of the originals that you saw before, added from that 2,000 feet. And most of that 2,000 feet was Peter Bain, who was Thumper, right? Don't say something bad if you can't say, you know, don't say something nice, you can't say something at all, remember? And Peter Bain and me in the forest with the owl raising the tickets. <laughs> Great time. All that was cut. Uh, we're trying to motivate the execs now and then massive Disney. Why don't you do a release with all 2,000 feet? The kids will love it. Because we just raise the dickens in the forest and cause all kinds of problems. <laughs> 2,000 feet. Think of that. Maybe the last, how much time do we have? Um, I think we're just about ready to wrap it up. I did want to ask you, and I think probably a lot of us have thought this. When you mentioned about not uh, really thinking about your movies later in your life, at what point, and this is of course well prior to 16 years ago when you mentioned about uh, Disney and Bambi and the re-release, uh, but at what point did you did you ever stumble across like maybe channel surfing and see Son of Frankenstein or Tower of London, uh, any of your old films, or did anybody that you know, uh, that you know personally say, you know, that movie you did, uh, you ever think about those? <coughs> yeah. Excellent, interesting question, real short. <laughs> I like it back in the business doing something. Put me in a Western, I'm right in a Western. <laughs> didn't talk about the movies, didn't think about the movies. I got a new life, got lots of responsibilities, I'm having a great time. The honest to goodness, I did not think about it. Now, this makes me a bit of a hypocrite. Don't throw a banana at <laughs> I hardly ever went to movies. As I know, hardly ever went to movies. Base movies, then because I was too busy. Having a great time, right? <clears throat> Go back to the last couple of months in the Marine Corps that I gave you a little scenario on before, General Hutton. That same time in uh, 77, when Walt was going to release for the first time, first time, Bambi, in the, in the cassettes like this with reel to reels, remember those? Huh? He's going to release it. The San Diego paper came out. Uh, in a major story about it, Walt Disney's gonna release Bambi for the first time. And, and in that article, I'll never forget this, it said, and the studio is considering putting credits for the first time. Credits. I'm Italian commander, Rico Bookham. And I'm proud of the Bambi thing, but the way I see it, right? We had this, this fear, dear mom, guess what? <laughs> and, and uh, I was really relieved when they finally brought it out, and uh, I went to see it. It's the first time since night, since the since the premiere. The first time I had seen Bambi was in when the, it released first time in uh, 1977. And 
Because he was, he did some good stuff, right? Beat them dogs off and kept that jerk guy from stealing the uh, uh, plane. I can, I can relate to that one, you know. And, uh, but uh, the name didn't get attached until General, wonderful General Howden blew my cover and I got beat up. <laughs> well, uh, let's give a big hand for... <laughs> Well, we hope you all have enjoyed this week's episode. Please join us next week for our review of Jun Wuchi, the Taoist Wizard, which is the Korean title, and the American title is Wuchi Demon Slayer. As always, please leave us feedback on our Facebook page or at diecastmoviereviewpodcast at gmail.com or even on Apple Podcasts. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye.